Welcome to the Silicon Slopes Conversations, the last one for 2023, I believe. Today we are joined by Cash Allred, who is a principal at Antler. How are you, Cash? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Love the name, by the way. Uh, that's a story for another day, maybe. All right. Well, it fits your role, right? Because you guys do deal in a little cash from time to time. Um, all right. For those that aren't in the know about Antler, it's a really cool model. Um, had one of your colleagues on the podcast a few months ago, and it was fun to learn all about it. Um, it's cool and innovative, and I think it uh, fills a lot of gaps that have existed over the years um, as it relates to venture capital. But let's hear it straight from you. Um, what is Ant- Antler? What do you guys do, and why do you do it? Yeah, I think it's worth describing Antler from both uh, the venture perspective as well as the entrepreneur perspective. So um, if you look at any venture ecosystem from angel money to pre-seed, seed, series A, and then growth capital down the line, what'll typically happen in a local system is you'll have some really, really good angel investors that become pre-seed investors, and as they professionalize themselves and find success, they raise larger funds. And it becomes really hard to write enough checks out of a large fund in the pre-seed stage. Uh, the check sizes are just too small to deploy a large fund. So the pre-seed stage is just notoriously hard to scale. One of two things will happen. Either the pre-seed investor becomes a seed investor and, and pre-seed becomes the exception, and you have to know someone inside to get that conversation going and build that trust, or the pre-seed funds just cap the size that they'll grow to. And so relative to seed and Series A down the line, there's just not enough pre-seed capital. So Antler was uh, founded to be the largest and most scalable pre-seed VC in the world to provide that pre-seed capital in every local geography globally. Gotcha. What is the difference between pre-seed and seed as you guys view it? Uh, We view pre-seed as the earliest stages, day zero all the way through... um, Really, that that early revenue where where you can raise a healthy you know uh, one to three million dollar seed round, everything before that is pre seed, um, and these names are are definitely subjective. Uh, everyone has their own milestones and things that they're looking for, but I think generally speaking, uh, people would classify pre seed as uh, pre product or pre revenue or or somewhere in that that early stage. So you've got theoretically a team theoretically a little bit of revenue or you're close to, that would fall under something that Antler might be interested in? Uh, for Antler, we we want to talk to founders at day zero or even before then. Uh, so as we think about our model, the things that were holding other pre-seed funds back was how do you scale the face time you need with a good entrepreneur to, to underwrite that and, and write a check? And so because there's not a, typically a business yet. And so... Um, we're able to do that through a residency program where thousands of entrepreneurs will apply, um, we'll, ad- we'll interview them, we'll admit uh, 3 to 5% of those applicants, and then they come work out of our, our offices for a couple months. And the, va- the advantage of that is it allows them to, one, be in a room with everyone else to accelerate their growth, find co-founders, do the things that you need to to raise pre-seed money, um, not give any equity for joining that residency program. And then on our side, we get to know them and write uh, hundreds of more pre-seed checks than any other pre-seed fund in the world. All right, very cool. So ordinarily, if somebody's pitching any one of us um, and they say, I don't have a co-founder, I got kind of an idea, um, it's usually a, well, good luck, right? 
But you guys have structured, to your point, something that, that can scale. I'm interested in the, you know, I don't have a co-founder, but I want one. Um, I have gaps in this, this, and this. Um, can you help, right? So the, this residency, which is in person, right? Maybe you can go into a little bit more detail on that during this answer, but um, it's a certain amount of weeks, nine weeks? Uh, the, the last one was six weeks in six person, weeks. but eight weeks total. Okay. Um, you're going to be with a bunch of other folks that are in the same situation as you, right? Uh, a lot of ideas are going to be shared and things like that, but theoretically you could come out with a co-founder or two and on your your way to getting that first check. Describe the residency and where are the locations that folks could join. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about like the profile of the founder coming in and then, like you said, what kind of happens during the residency, what they're, what they're getting out of it, and then what happens at the end. So um, the, uh, like you said, we have founders that apply with five ideas and a napkin. And that's really the sweet spot of when we like to start our, our interview process. Uh, because we only do residencies twice a year, it's often the case that maybe they've already quit their job and they've been working for several months on something. We definitely have that. Um, but uh, the advantage is uh, they use the residency to their advantage to uh, come um, and, and join the 70 other founders in our, uh, each of our in-person locations. And... Uh, validate their idea if they haven't yet, or if they have validated the idea, find a, a business or a technical co-founder, um, get the early validation and traction they need. And we found that these these entrepreneurs are taking six months' worth of progress and cramming it into six or eight weeks because of the people in the room and the environment that they're working in. Uh, at the end of that, they have the opportunity to pitch for investment from Antler directly. Uh, we, Like I said, we're in the business of... Uh, writing uh, checks and making investments. That's the only way we make money. Um, but uh, those that either maybe they validated an idea that's not a, a fit for venture, um, they, they came, they validated their idea, they found a co-founder, and they can go on with their lives and do that business without um, a VC on the cap table, which is actually really important if you decide not to, to go the venture route. Um, and then uh, some come and, and they 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 make their run, and they decide to go another route. But obviously, the ideal scenario is that they come, they build their business, and it's a business that we can invest in. Yeah. And so you guys kind of have this advantage where you're getting to know them through the, the application process, and then you get to be with them in person for, for six to eight weeks, and then make your decision. It's not at a local diner with the napkin slid across the table, and you got to make this decision now type of thing. And they get to do the same thing, right? They get to know us through the interview process. They get to know us uh, through the six or eight weeks. And they get to know their co-founder and their business and the, the route they truly want to go before stepping on the venture treadmill. Yeah. Let's keep drawing some uh, comparisons and differences between what Antler does and, and a normal venture capital ecosystem. Um, over the years here in this community, there's been gaps that have been filled, whether it's you know seed or pre-seed or, or there's no late stage, right? But I think it's been filled in in this ecosystem nicely, so theoretically you don't have to leave Utah, right? You've got all the investors and all the capital and all the acumen that goes with that. But not that long ago, there was, there was gaps, right? Um, including kind of what we're talking about here. Um, at least in my experience, you would have not had a lot of of roads at this pre-seed stage. So let's talk about the interview process. What 
um, entrepreneurs are you looking for? What uh, bona fides are you looking for? Because it is early, right? Like you guys are making, I think it might be more of a jockey rather than the horse. Yeah, that's right. So I think in any venture ecosystem, uh, no matter how mature, there uh, systematically is going to be a lack of capital at the pre-seed stage. And that's, and that's where uh, you know, the, the whole mission and thesis of Antler started. Um, we have grown to uh, 27 cities across the world, um, the closest one to here being Boulder, and that's the case in every ecosystem. And so um, when we, we come into an ecosystem like the Mountain West, we say we want, we want to be the place that every single idea stage founder goes and applies. And whether they come to the residency or not, whether they get investment or not, there are advantages to joining this community at that stage that are really powerful. Uh, a, not just a Mountain West community or a U.S.-wide community. We, we're in Boulder, Austin, and New York, um, but also globally. And so uh, that, that's the, the vision and mission of who we want to apply to Antler. Um, now, as far as the different profiles, uh, founders waste an incredible amount of time going and talking to investors that just tell them that they're too early when they're in those stages. And we want to uh, help those entrepreneurs that are feeling that uh, have a place to go and to build um, with very little downside, with incredibly smart people uh, that, that can both build technology and sell technology um, where, where they can do that and then get the, the capital they need to get through that phase. Um, so oftentimes we'll see in, in the interview process, we're underwriting for um, – has this person not been a passenger in their past experiences? Have they built technology or sold technology or been an entrepreneur or at least uh, been part of a growth stage startup? Do they, do they know um, at least some element of what it takes that they could then fill in the gaps with a co-founder? And this last residency in Boulder, uh, about half of them were technical. Uh, and the other half, you know, 55% or so were either domain experts or, or business people, product managers. But we had a lot of technical talent in the room. And uh, I think that's, that's where the magic starts to happen. I, and I would say it's given our underwriting process and the interview process, uh, we, we do have, yes, very, very young people join. But I would say the, the median or, or age is, you know, uh, early 30s, right? We have young early 20s all the way up to 40s and 50s, um, but it's typically people who have a track record of success already, and they're ready to uh, come in and really create an additive experience for everyone in the room. Gotcha. Because with all things in life, you might be a really good product manager, a good engineer, um, but venture and raising money and building a company is a new experience. And uh, I guess it's part of human nature to want new challenges and experiences, but it also comes with fear and trepidation. Um, so what have you guys built through Antler that, that helps these, these companies during those six to eight weeks? I assume there's repeat questions and concerns, and then there's probably a bunch of unique outliers where it's like, well, that's a new one. Yeah, so uh, I, we use the term residency very deliberately. Um, it's not a class. It's not uh, somewhere where you go and you sit through a bunch of programming all day in, instead of doing your, building your company. Um, our job is to get the absolute best um, entrepreneurs in the room that we can. And when you have 70 of those, uh, there's a lot that happens just by that and being in the same room as those people day in and day out uh, for a period of weeks. Um, as far as the, the light programming that we do have, there's the first week of getting to know each other. There are some uh, 
frameworks that we provide at the beginning, really pushing founders to, to validate their ideas, do customer discovery. N not a single founder, uh, I feel like, uh, coming into the residency has done enough yet what, at the time we meet them. And so we push really hard for that. And then every week they get one-on-one -on -one coaching from the local Antler team. They get uh, visiting partners and guest speakers from across the country. And we have some really impressive ones um, that have been a part of that. They can get one-on-one -on -one coaching from those people as well. Uh, and then there's programming for the founders that's a little bit separate from like information sharing to support them and um, give them what they need to uh, make progress during the six weeks. Very cool. So a little bit of structure, but a lot of like free flowing and, and serendipitous interactions, um, shared pain, shared success, that type of thing. Yeah, we just don't want to get in the way of building companies, right? Like if uh, we want to have as little time as possible pulling them out of talking to customers, uh, building relationships with co-founders, writing software, uh, the things that they need to do to make progress. Yeah. So you guys have been around for about six years, is that correct? And close to 1,000 investments. Um, and you mentioned worldwide. And with all things, whether it's like big data or just uh, – what you can see with your own eyeballs, but you guys have a lot of data, right, on, on companies throughout the world, and there's probably problems throughout the world that are trying to be solved at the same time, and then there's unique geographical problems, but how does the global network um, benefit and compound uh, the, the bolder one that would be Utah, for example? Yeah, um, uh, I'll actually start at the smallest nucleus and then grow out. Uh, so with Boulder, that covers the Mountain West and the West Coast. And I do think that um, founders in Utah are finding value in getting those connections in California or other, other regions in kind of our sector of the country. And I think that's really important for lots of reasons, uh, talent density and, and just getting access to more networks, um, shots on goal with large enterprise customers and investors. Um, and Boulder definitely provides that. I uh, like... Only 25% or, or maybe a third of the residents were uh, within driving distance. Like everyone else was coming from out of town. And we do offer a $2,500 stipend for someone who moves to Boulder for the period of time of the residency to help take the edge off that cost um, because we want that experience and that crossover. So you, you get that. While you're with 70 founders in Boulder, there's 70 in Austin and 70 in New York covering the other parts of the country, and you have access to them as well. And that's just who's there right then. That's not even to count all of the previous people who've gone through the residency. That's not to count all of the previous investments that we've made in the U.S. and globally. And then those who we make investments into, now that multiplies by another order of magnitude at the global stage. And so um, there's pieces about that that's just nodes and connectivity. Um, there's also just playbooks that uh, apply in certain industries and geographies that are really important. I would imagine over time that uh, as our, our portfolio matures and starts expanding into global markets, that we'll have tons of antler companies founded abroad that will be launching in U.S. cities and hiring from the antler community as well as vice versa. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit more about like the alumni network. What do you guys call it? The, what do you call it? So um, – there's there's our portfolio of investments of founders we've actually wrote investments into, and uh, as you can imagine, most of our effort is spent there and, and making downstream connections. Uh, there's really two phases to the Antler model. There's the residency, which is phase one. Phase two starts the day an investment is made all the way through uh, the founder successfully raising a seed round. And uh, we have specific um, efforts to help those founders continue to 
um, connect with one another at the U.S.-wide level to support each other because it, it's important to not just be connected with any entrepreneur but someone facing the same problem that you're facing right now. And I think that's where this cohorted approach is fairly powerful is if you're in a cohort of uh, 30 um, companies that just got a pre-seed check and you're learning things and sharing those things, it's really powerful. Um, and then uh, we are uh, – helping them be accountable to goals and um, getting the coaching they need to uh, remove roadblocks and move faster towards the milestones they need to raise the seed round. And there's, there's downstream investment stuff that we do too that we could talk about maybe later, but um, there's, uh, that's the two phases of the programming and, and how we support alumni. So your role as principal, um, what does that entail? Kind of what's your day-to-day? What, are, what is your job within Antler? And then second part of that question, um, there's always like the best part, the part you enjoy the most, and then there's the worst part. Um, so we, we kind of uh, like a sport. We have the off-season and the on-season, right? The, the residency is on-season. Um, in the off-season, uh, we... Uh, my role is spending time in ecosystems like Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona. Um, I, I attend uh, Kasim, who's uh, moving here to Salt Lake. He and I are, are really trying to connect with as many entrepreneurs and be as helpful as possible to anyone in the Mountain West. We have another counterpart that's over California and doing that area. Um, and it's uh, really to make sure we get the right people in the room. Um, that is by far the most important part of our business to start and where the value creation uh, begins. And then in the on-season, it's uh, all hands on deck with the entrepreneurs um, every day. Um, and it's for all kinds of things. It's uh, uh, navigating um, and vetting co-founder relationships and um, uh, making connections live in the moment that will help unlock something for an entrepreneur and creating the experience that they need to uh, move forward with their business. What is uh, a couple of like surprising things, like maybe week six or seven of, of the cohort, where you're able to watch transformations, right? Like um, the people are probably a little bit tired physically, mentally, and uh, – Maybe their physical appearance has even changed, but you're able to see um, how their business has changed or how their psyche's changed. What are some of the cool, unique stories that you've seen over the years? Um, so I haven't been with Antler for years yet. I just joined this last year, but I uh, the residency um, uh, goes through a, a sort of a cycle. The first week, as high energy as you could possibly imagine. Um, Everyone is so stoked to be there. We actually have a few people here that were in the last residency. I see them smiling. Uh, both of them to- told me they had a good experience, so I'm glad that they're here. Um, but uh, there, there gets into that point where the rubber meets the road, and you hit that wall of entrepreneurship, right, where it's like the customers aren't listening, the investors aren't listening, um, I don't know what I'm doing, and um, – that wall that is just inevitable that every entrepreneur will face that. And so um, there's this middle period where uh, founders are making pivots. Maybe they are scrapping their old idea and starting with a new one. Um, Maybe they validated something and now it's just an incredible grind to get a product out to get the validation they need to raise money. Um, And then towards the end, there's kind of this uh, coming to oneself where they say, wow, look at all I've done, all I've learned and the people I've met. And um, no matter what their experience was, whether uh, they're going to continue with their startup or not, or whether they're getting funded or not, where uh, there's a general sentiment of just progress and accomplishment, and people um, are uh, 
excited about the next step of whatever they're going to do. And um, I think that's that speaks to the experience of having, again, the right people in the room at the right time doing the same thing. Um, we're going to open up for questions from the audience here in a few minutes. So if we could get the microphone ready and everyone get your courage up. Questions for Cash. Um, so I'm interested in kind of the end of the, the residency. Uh, there's other models like Y Combinator or Techstars where there's like pitch days and demo days. And um, there's lots of models out there. Um, what is the, the tail end of your guys' model? The ultimate who's going who's gonna to keep going, who's going to get that money? Yeah, so uh, every entrepreneur that wants to uh, will pitch the local team through kind of a pre-investment committee meeting. And um, that's where a lot of the decisions are made, whether to go formally to the U.S. Investment Committee to pitch. Um, they are pitching for a $250,000 investment. So, I mean, if you started your company within a, a, you know, a month or two ago, that's a meaningful check, right? That can give you uh, some good runway to build a product, especially if you have on the founding team the ability and the talent to build tech and sell tech right there, right? And so, um, the, so that's, that's that piece. When the founders pitch the investment committee, um, they don't just have to convince the local team for investment. It's the partners from all three U.S. locations. And uh, that's a check and balance to make sure that um, we, we are orienting ourselves to making the best possible investments, and we, we create the platform for the entrepreneurs to make that case. Um, and... Uh, Post-investment, uh, we do have dedicated follow-on in our fund. Uh, it's pretty significant, honestly, to seed rounds as those uh, founders continue in that journey. And then not at the U.S. level but at the global level, uh, we have a growth fund that uh, has a mandate to invest in antler companies that make it to Series A and beyond. So we really truly aspire to invest from day zero through the residency to pre-seed, uh, seed Series A and beyond. So now we're kind of talking about the downstream part of the, the antler model. Um, company gets that 250. They've got that runway to keep going. You mentioned you've got follow-on investments and you've got the whole infrastructure to keep um, supporting them. Um, when do you guys kind of cash out? When do you guys? Because you guys aren't a nonprofit. You're not doing this for free, right? Like the business model for you guys. When do you guys achieve your liquidity? Um, we are. Uh you know, in the, the core VC strategy of you invest early and you hold until a liquidity event. And so um, our LPs uh, know that we're investing so early, the lockup period is quite long. Um, in the U.S. Fund, too, there's some fairly large institutions that are, that are joining um, in and uh, have that mindset as well. Um, and so uh, there's there's no uh, triggering event or something that we're trying to get money out too early in that experience, especially in the companies that are, are growing at the pace that we believe them capable of. And so you guys don't meddle in the secondary market or anything like that? Not as of now. Cool. One more question, then we'll open it up. Um, the the alum, alumni network, the cohort network, right? maybe some of us in college when we were meeting with our counselor at the end, they're like, oh, we've got an amazing alumni network. All you have to do is email them. And uh, I tried that, and I didn't get a damn thing out of that. Um, I assume there's similar stories out there. Um, for f companies that have gone through, and even ones that decided not to pursue that route, I assume there's kind of like an email that you can get responded to, right? Because you, you've all gone through that together. Um, what are some of the f ancillary, you know, serendipitous 
serendipitous effects of these cohorts spread throughout the world as far as like people answering emails or offering a little advice and mentorship, that type of thing? Um, I'll give one example. So in the last residency, one of the founders uh, years ago founded Ruckus Wireless, a company that uh, wrote Wi-Fi protocols and, and really, really changed the face of Wi-Fi um, a decade or two ago, went public. And he felt like his network was older and uh, he, he wanted to um, get you know fresh experience and uh, find a co-founder. He felt like he had one more um, run in him. And so he came to uh, the residency. He found a co-founder that was a domain expert in um, clinical research organizations. They founded a company together and they're off to the races. Like that's the core of the serendipity that happens at the co-founder relationship, which I think is uh, very unique. Um, and given the fact that everyone is uh, talented and they are there for the same reason, it doesn't take the months it typically would take to have that relationship form. Um, but then beyond that, uh, going into uh, previous in, uh, portfolio companies that have gone through um, challenges with uh, privacy and medical data, for example, um, and these these challenges that startups in the, the previous cohorts face six months ahead of you or 12 months ahead of you. It's important that it's only that far ahead of you. It's not five years ahead of you because the landscape changes so fast. Um, and there's definitely circumstances where uh, I see that connection piece really working. Yeah. That is a good point because um, I've connected folks with uh, founders that, you know, eight or nine years ago had their success. And, uh, you know, they'll ask them questions and they'll be like, I don't remember, right? They either blacked out or it was so unpleasant or the world's changed enough that uh, it wasn't a, it's not applicable today how they built their company. So that, uh, that close, you know, every six months would be beneficial, I'm sure. Um, all right, Bo, you've got the microphone. Questions, raise your hand and the microphone will come to you. Are there any particular industries that Antler looks at or are you kind of investing across all, all industries? Uh, thanks for asking. Um, Industry-wise, uh, it's very diverse. Um, because we're bringing in founders, maybe before their idea is validated or, or discovered, um, we see all kinds of things. Most of our investments are in tech or tech-enabled, um, and I think that's the case for just VC alignment in general. Um, but we're writing uh, so so many investments that it creates a fairly diverse portfolio across you know, your traditional B2B SaaS to healthcare to consumer technology, uh, creator economy, um, all the way to more niche industries. Like the one I mentioned is software for clinical research organizations that do clinical trials for pharmaceutical companies, right? Like that's that's uh, uh, an industry that you don't necessarily think about every day. Yeah, for sure. What's going on, Cash? I'm Sean Kimball with Nomics. Nice to meet you. Uh, talk to us more about that profile of the founder that you guys are looking for? I know you touched on a little bit earlier. Uh, maybe some of the prerequisites. I know you said that you know they, they need to be you know an entrepreneur by heart, but tell us more about that. I'm just interested. Yeah, I, uh, one profile that's fairly common is um, someone who's been a software engineer, built a lot of product, uh, and uh, done that to the point where they're ready to take a bet on themselves. And that's like on the building side, right? They're writing code and they can they can do all the things that 
a technical co-founder needs to do to break through um, and, and take a product to market. Um, on the business side, uh, employees who have uh, been at growth stage companies during periods of growth or, or early stage validation, uh, we see a lot of product managers apply. We see people who with sales backgrounds um, that um, have developed that skill set um, and are ready to take a swing on themselves. I would say that the the profile and makeup is is quite diverse, but we do underwrite for someone who can say, I know that I can do this. I'm looking for a co-founder that can do that. And these are the interest areas that I have. And they're, they have a, they have the evidence in their life to date to show that. Cash will sit around um, for a while and answer any questions after we wrap this up. Um, the application process, you've kind of mentioned it a little bit, but um, how long does it take? How arduous is it? Um, do, do people meet on Zoom? Do they meet you guys in person? And ultimately, how long does it make to make the decision? So the application itself is your LinkedIn profile, and you answer two or three questions. It's meant to be very brief. Uh, and uh, if you have a co-founder, you apply already. Then you apply with your co-founder. If you don't, you just apply solo. Um, from there, there's a screening process of all the applications. And then there's two interviews. So um, those can be in person, uh, but they are typically virtual. Uh, they happen on a rolling basis. Uh, the holidays kind of messes up with timing a little bit, as you can imagine. But we really, we try to uh, give people an answer to an interview within a week or two and then uh, a full decision within a similar time frame of the interview of that. So uh, given that it is an in-person residency, we... We admit people as we go to give people as much time as possible to plan around that experience, whether it's uh, quitting a job or you know making plans with the family to be away for a period of time, um, and uh, or it's to run as fast as you can in anticipation of day one to to make that progress for your startup if you've already started it, and uh, in in some cases um, the. Founders are already neck deep in their startup, and they can start taking advantage of the Antler community uh, when they're admitted before the residency even starts. Hi, Cash. Uh, thanks for being here. So two questions. First of all, I think it's phenomenal how well you guys have been able to take advantage of the power law. What type of, what, what's the funnel looking like in uh, actual practice? And then second of all, when you're writing those 250K checks, what type of terms are you using? Are you using a safe or cap? Yeah, yeah great question. So um, re the reference of venture law math is just that most of venture returns come from the, a small percent of your investments. And um, that that is the game that we play where uh, we receive thousands of applications. We'll accept 3 to 5% of those into the residency. Um, and then from the residency, we'll uh, invest in a percentage of those companies. Uh, it's a good percentage. I, I would say that, like, if you come in and you build a great company, your likelihood of getting funding is is really high, right? Um, rel especially relative to conversations with other VC funds, right? Um, but uh, we invest in, um, you know, a, a percentage of those. Uh, and then from there... Uh, there's the power law within the portfolio, which is another story. But um, we are already, we were talking this morning, we, we increased the number of applications by a serious order of magnitude in 2023 relative to 2022. And that's going to happen again in 2024. So it's only going to get more competitive to get into the residency. Um, 
once you're in the residency, we're in the business of making investments, so we're going to make as many of those as possible for the companies that are ready for that. And um, it's possible even that we uh, open more locations in the U.S. to handle the, the applications and make sure that we're not missing good entrepreneurs simply because we only have so many seats. Hi, Kish. I have two questions, too. The first one is, how do you view market competition and the scalability of the business that you invest in? And secondly, if somebody is coming as solo co-founder, there is like conflicts happen between co-founders all the time. What are your strategies to resolve those conflicts in that tenure, six weeks or eight weeks? So a lot of the co-founders that come in, uh, they, they come in and they test co-founder relationships first. Um, because they haven't taken money um, typically before coming into the residency, uh, there's still room to try out a co-founder relationship before getting married, so to speak. And I think that's very important um, and an advantage to not taking equity from an accelerator or something at the beginning, but rather waiting until the end uh, of that experience. So um, there's certainly circumstances that happen and where co-founders, they, they work together for a week knowing that it's an experiment that they're testing and they decide not to work together after that. And that can be for good or bad reasons, right? Maybe maybe the idea didn't work out or maybe uh, it wasn't a fit for each other. And that's definitely encouraged. Uh, there's uh, numerous examples of companies that we've even invested in where uh, they had to try those things on uh, multiple times during the residency, but also later, right? Uh, if founders get to the end of the residency and they're not ready to pitch, the recommendation is to wait and come back and pitch the investment committee of Antler later when they are ready. They found that co-founder. And we do invest in solo co-founders. I, I would, uh, our advice is often that you are better off with a co-founder um, for a variety of, of good reasons, um, but it's not necessarily a requirement, which I, which I should uh, definitely mention. As far as like what we're underwriting market and some of those other things to your first question, um, at the pre-seed stage, you truly are underwriting for the team. And it's not just that the team is good, but does the team have all the pieces they need with the capital you are about to give them to get to the next stage? And I think that those two things together are very important um, to have, have the skills at the table to reach that next inflection point because there's not going to be cash to hire tons of people to fill those gaps. That has, you have to have a line of sight to having it at least to get to that next milestone. Um, and then also, you know, uh, uh, enough validation on the problem statement and the market to see a venture scale return being possible in the space, um, as opposed to great businesses out there that, you know, like consultancies are a great example, right? Like they can be great businesses, very profitable, but um, not a fit for venture given the scalability nature and, and, and other things related to it. What are some mistakes you see early stage co-founders making on a consistent basis or a trend that you can give us so that we can learn from those mistakes? Uh, a lot of mistakes in co-founder relationships early on and cap table mistakes early on. So in the day zero to pre-seed stage, um, uh, it's lonely and it's tempting to uh, allow people to blur the lines between uh, being a co-founder or an advisor or an investor or whatever else, like you're just happy for the help and happy that someone believes in you. And it's really important to not make mistakes there. If they're an advisor, uh, make sure they get advisor level equity and not more. If they're not full-time and they're not in the trenches with you as a founder, uh, 
don't give away co-founder equity. Just don't do it, right? You know, they can be a great advisor and they can dedicate serious time and resources to you, but be careful about that. And I see that I, when I was at the, the seed stage and Series A stage before, I, I didn't see it that much because it typically meant that those companies never made it to seed or Series A, right? Because the problems were just so broken from early on um, that it was challenging. But now that I'm at the pre-seed stage, I see it all the time. Um, and uh, so having clear tracks like, this is what the founder track looks like. This is what an early employee founder track looks like. And knowing the bands of equity that you should be giving, vesting, all those things to make sure that as you go through this hard period and, and people maybe come or go or, or, or whatever, that the company can continue on and not be hamstrung by a mistake or a decision that was made years ago. There's other things, too, that uh, pre-seed founders always make, which is just not enough validation. And it's so cliché. And it's funny because on day one of the residency, everyone's like, ha ha, I, mean, I knew you would say that, but I've done customer validation already. You know, I know what I'm doing. And then a week later, they're like, oh shoot, I need to do more customer validation, right? And, it's, uh, um, and when I say that, it's not just calling and asking what they want, but it's starting to blend your validation with a sales process. And you're extracting more commitment from these customers as you go. And you're asking questions like, what do you want to is this what you want to, will you pay for this to sign here, right? And those are all of that customer validation feedback that you, you should be working through. Um, and so in general, those are mistakes I made. The, the other mistake is just not moving fast enough, spending time on things that just don't matter. Um, we, we want to know if uh, founders have incorporated before applying to the residency, but it's, it's not something we talk about at all until they're ready to pitch the investment committee because it's just typically a waste of time until you're taking customer money or uh, you have a formal co-founder relationship that you need to, you know, divvy equity up on. It's funny that you mentioned most of those things. I'm a year and a half into this, and every single thing that you touched on was a pivotal point in the growth of our startup where we had to scale back the equity. We really realized, like, what we were able to do and not growing too quick, but also making sure that the people that believed in us early, we didn't give away too much. So, yeah, it's, thank you. Right, raise of hand. Who's who's raised money in this audience? Seven or eight out of fifty. So a lot of curious folks. You mentioned you target companies with venture scale returns. Can you put a little bit more color around the parameters, the hallmarks of what that means to you? Yes. Um, this goes to the, the person who mentioned Power Law, which is to make the math easy. Let's say you have a hundred million dollar fund. Um, venture math means you're writing checks into companies that are so early you are anticipating. Uh, a portion of those, typically a large portion of those, to go to zero. They will fail. Which means that the rest of them have to make up for it. And if uh, you're taking all this risk, your LPs are expecting better returns than they could get in liquid markets like the stock market. So not only do you have to expect a lot of return from the companies that are good to make up for the losses, but they also have to out, the, the fund as a whole has to outperform the S&P 500. And so Every, uh, comp every company we invest in, we have to see line of sight to at least returning our whole fund. And in this example, it, let's say it's $100 million, right? Um, our, our, our fund's different in size than that, but um, uh, to make the math easy, $100 million. So if we invest and now we own 10% of the company, um, then we would hope that that company sells for a billion dollars and we get $100 million back. And if that company 
can't sell, conceivably sell for a billion dollars at some point in the future, then it's probably not a fit for venture. And it's my recommendation, and if I were an entrepreneur, I'd give myself this advice, don't raise venture money if that's not a fit for you because it's going to push you in a direction that does not is not helpful. And there's other sources of capital that are a good fit for um, businesses that won't reach that scale that can make you as an entrepreneur a lot of money. Um, but for the venture investor to make money, that's the math that has to play out. You mentioned uh, that the age as of the folks that apply, like a lot of younger folks, but then a lot of uh, folks with salt and pepper in their beards and uh, in their hair and all of that. Um, what's the difference in your, and it could be anecdotal, just what you see with your eyeballs, the difference between you know, a 48-year-old entrepreneur and a 22-year-old and a entrepreneur? Um, I think that uh, in the first couple of days of the residency, the feeling that you get is... Um, there's enough experience in the room that no one's cagey about their idea. They're not, they, they recognize, and they've been uh, e either working in technology or startups long enough that it is about uh, doing the hard things harder and faster than competitors outside the room, but the people in the room are typically your friends. Like you're, There's not this like, weird game of survivor happening where if I do good, then it's not them, and like, uh, or I'm not going to share my idea. Like that's there's that all kind of goes by the wayside with some experience really fast. Um, and so uh, what I've seen in the residency is that even the young people have that mentality. Like we watch for that ex uh, very specifically that they they have what it takes and they know what they're going in, into as being an entrepreneur. But they're also the right attitude to be open minded about what they work on and who they meet and how this could work out. Um, and they and they recognize that it's going to be an incredible lift to get there, um, and that can be the case for some of the people with more experience because maybe maybe they've uh, have a lot of experience, but it's not in this context, right? But in general, I would say that uh, the attitude in the room is um, pretty impressive. The importance of having startups in the world, or in this case, like the Western United States, where you get, where you're kind of focused. Uh, there's headlines periodically that um, people founding companies and doing startups is down. I don't know if that's true, but I would imagine it is. Like, they're reputable sources. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that. Like, they just get gobbled up or um, their stuff gets stolen, whatever it might be. But the principle of, like, doing something hard, which startups usually are, sometimes they go swimmingly and people never talk about that, but usually it's a... It's an uphill slog. Um, for you guys in Antler, ultimately, like, you love entrepreneurship. You love startups. You personally, um, what makes you the happiest, like, interacting with these entrepreneurs who are going to endeavor on something that's going to take a long time and a lot of effort? In terms of the number of entrepreneurs, I think there's real uh, systematic things to consider in, like, the number of entrepreneurs that are being minted every year. And... One thing is the exits of other startups, right? The best training ground to become an entrepreneur is working for one or, or being part of an experience. And then uh, a, a really great outcome is good for the VCs who can, uh, now their LPs have more money to invest in future venture funds. Um, but also the, the early employees or even the later employees at these startups can go and start their own companies with playbooks and experience and networks that they would never have otherwise. So I think like with some of the exits in the last year that haven't gone as well, um, 
that could be an argument that there was an entrepreneur staying at that company too long that should have left earlier and started a company. Maybe they're coming in, but they're maybe they're coming in with less cash reserves or something else. And I think that's that's a problem that like we care about and and why we want to invest earlier to alleviate that. Um, the other piece is uh, there's just not enough good companies making it from day zero to seed to feed the demand of all the seed and Series A investors and beyond. And so um, by writing more pre-seed checks, we've been able to build good relationships with seed and Series A investors that um, want to invest in geographies that they just they don't they don't get a look at enough companies to even make a decision to invest in those areas or those sectors. And so um, just increasing the volume from the number of entrepreneurs starting business and then the success to that seed stage, I think, is critical to benefiting everyone down the line. For sure. As I talk to you and others at Antler, it just seems like it's just ripe with common sense, right? Like, um, it's 2023. Y'all have had a lot of experience in viewing how ventures worked for the last 50, 60 years. Um, And it seems like you've plugged any gaps that existed. And it's kind of cause and effect, right? Like, to the point you just illustrated, if this part of the pipeline's dry the next part's going to be drier and drier and drier. So um, for folks here in Utah, you mentioned, you know, like we've got the global ecosystem. You've got the closest cohort in in Boulder. What's the best way to get involved for folks here in Utah? And um, what is, like, the next big thing for you guys that you want to announce here? Yeah, the biggest risk for us is that um, we don't meet the entrepreneurs until they're too far along for it to make sense for them to to work with us. And so um, uh, the... The great experience I have is to meet a lot of you early and to uh, answer questions that you have about Antler so that as you meet uh, friends, family, coworkers that are starting companies that they know about us. And, and um, so there's the, the part that where you apply, there's the part where your friend tells you how hard it is to start a company at the pre-seed stage and, and they can learn about us. Um, but there are other opportunities to get involved uh, on the advisor side, um, joining the, the community in a broader sense that we can talk about one-on-one um, that we're definitely open to the conversation for. Very cool. Thank you, Cash, for taking the time to join us. Um, you're still fine sticking around for a few minutes. Um, Cash Allred, Principal at Antler, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.